none of those things are defined as people, the artists create that music. They just hear something, they're playing, they're messing around, and they like, they're like, oh yeah. That's Rick Paul, and this is the Mount Rushmore of podcasts. Hey everybody, welcome to the Mount Rushmore Podcast. I'm your host, Colin Gasamas. Each week on the Mount Rushmore Podcast, we take a question or a concept, and then we build a Mount Rushmore around it. This week we're talking about the greatest rock songs of all time. All right, Rick Paul, welcome to the Mount Rushmore Podcasts. We're talking about uh, the Mount Rushmore of rock songs this week. As a reminder, uh, this is just what you think, right? So uh, before we started today, uh, I made my Mount Rushmore of rock songs. I asked you to make yours. We shared. And the only rule is it's just what you think. And so um, to start, I thought uh, I would ask you uh, how you think about a rock song. So first, uh, it's great being here, Colin. Thanks for having me. And I have mounted the Rushmore. And I, that's a good question. What, what makes a rock song a rock song? Strict definitions of the music. Are there strict defining characteristics of, you know, a little bit of blues with a little bit of, you know, the other variations of music that influence what we consider rock and roll, like a, like a, a quicker drum beat, heavy guitar, some bass, some some vocals. Uh, I'm not I'm not one. I'm not an expert. I don't know the history of music well enough to, and I don't even think that my Mount Rushmore choices would be strictly considered rock <laughs> rock songs. Like Little R- or what is it? Uh, Chuck Berry. And those type of like the new, the, the defining shift from what was music before Chuck Berry influenced everybody or some of these blues players influence people and the, you know, the Rolling Stones and all that. Early rock group in the funk and or the not the funk the folk when folk transitioned and the evolution of the birds and that whole scene that came out of Laurel Canyon in California So I have to confess that uh, I listen to your list and then uh, I've been listening to uh, the Chuck Klosterman, Chris Ryan podcast, Music Is. They just did an episode on uh, Beatles versus the Stones. And um, uh, it, it really, you know, kind of changed how I thought about these like hard categories about rock. But one of the points uh, Klosterman makes um, later in the, the podcast is sort of uh, the Beatles and the Stones represent this evolution of the Elvis model. And I didn't know any of this stuff, but really Elvis was the performer. There were other producers and then there were other writers. Right. And so there was this model of making rock songs. So, um, you know, the whole point of these conversations for me is that it's wide open. So none of those things are defined as people, the artists create that music. They just hear something, they're playing, they're messing around and they like, they're like, Oh yeah. But it's, it's the historians, it's the music lovers afterwards that coin this is rock and roll. Right. This is alternative rock. I don't even know. What is alternative rock? Right. right. Every I single mean, one no of those categories. Yeah. And those are things that I thought about. Like, so I really couldn't give you the definition of rock. And that's why I think this is going to be awesome because I think we, when I first looked at your songs, I was like, oh, we really have two different lists. But then I list, I just listened to all the songs that you submitted and, um, I totally thought about them differently. And I think I will every time. So um, why don't you give us your four? 
the four that I chose, um, I chose a song, we, we Close Our Eyes by Oingo Boingo. Then uh, I chose uh, Weird Fishes by Radiohead. Hmm. Those arpeggiated chords give me such a distinct feeling and it's like one of my favorite things. All right, Hmm. what's next? Then I chose Peggy O by The Grateful Dead. My last one was The Flaming Lips, and it was Do You Realize? It's a good one. All right, so anything you want to say about them as a group before I uh, go into mine? They're just all kick-ass songs. Yeah, I think that's a pretty good summary. I can't really argue with that. All right, I'll go through mine really quickly. So the first one that came to mind, and this was so easy to me, was uh, You Really Got Me by The Kinks. All right, and then the next one, um, this felt like I was falling into the trap of like kind of uh, trying to align my choices with like critical opinion, but uh, I picked Day Tripper by the Beatles. The most personal one, for me was good times bad times by uh zeppelin is that a cowbell what are they using i always think he's hitting the side of his cymbal stand on the hi-hat but who knows there's got to be videos we could look at it has a hollower sound to me and i love that intro yeah, so that's the one I probably have the most to say about personally. But I'll just finish my list. Uh, my last one. So again, this is a little predictable, but I I was thinking about what Stone song belongs on the uh, Mount Rushmore. And again, not an easy question. So I picked uh, Tumbling Dice from uh, Exile on Main Street. Yeah, I was going to say a big part of it was that um, chorus he's got working behind him. I got to say, Colin, I like your list. Yeah, Uh, I I like I intentionally avoided any Beatles and any Rolling Stones because they got their own like Mount Rushmore is not good that they transcend the the whole idea, in my opinion. Yeah, like well, they're I mean, obviously on the mountain. They're on the mountain already. Uh, they are the mountain. And these are just little faces carved on them. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. Uh, and, you know, it, it all, some of these questions, trying to answer them in succinct ways leads to more questions. Like, can you make a Mount Rushmore of a Rolling Stone songs? Like, that's a hard one, right? Same thing with the Beatles. Um, but yeah, I just chose to to select some songs that, like every time I go back to them, they are significant to me. 
Yeah. Like music in a way, like I can listen to the Beatles and the Beatles will evoke the same emotions they did as at the, the time I first listened to them as a little kid shooting hoops in my neighbor's, you know, yeah. after watching Bobby Knight and what, you know, from five, four, uh, I can't remember. I can't remember the names of the players on his team after they won the championship. Uh, but, uh, but these are songs that consistently resonate with me. And I think they like have this deep meaning and in, in the lyrics and in the melody that it resonates uh, about my life, like my life journey. And it's, they're significant in every stage that I've listened to them. Uh, they remind me of something that is deeper than me. Yeah. Well, so I think that's really important. Um, and so uh, to build off that, can you tell me a little bit then about that Oingo Boingo track? I have to confess, I remember, I don't know anything about Oingo Boingo, so I did a little bit of research, but I remember seeing their name in like rock magazines. Um, like that was my thing when I was a kid, um, you know, reading like Hit Parader and things like that. And uh, I could never say it right. Like, so there's, we could do a Mount Rushmore of bands whose names I mispronounce. Like I used to say Lineard Skynard because I was like, you know. But tell me about that track. Oingo Boingo. Lineard. You're such a Lineard. <laughs> Quit being a Lineard. I would see kids wearing their t-shirts and I had no like connection to them because you're thinking like it's uh you know by the way, that's a great just, band. Oh, I'll man, tell you. On. Give me three steps. Yeah. That's the best song. Like I love how he wrote whatever Van Zant wrote that. The lyrics on that. I can't what Ronnie Van Zant. I think it is Ronnie. Well, there's Zant two Van Zants, right? If it's yeah. a band, it's uh, it's got to be brothers, right? Yeah, they're they're brothers, and and that idea, that song, where he's like, "I'm not gonna fight you." You know, rock and roll had always had this hard edge, and you know not backing down this idea and he's southern southern rock especially and he chose this different approach like hey buddy i don't want to give me i won't come here no more just give me two steps <laughs> right. i think it's a great point right and that's probably why we remember it today but uh and that's why i like it because i'm that kind of guy I'm, i don't want to stare down a 44 yeah, yeah well in reality who does right especially like i'm gonna need There's about so <laughs> Two minutes. Motherfuckers out two there, minutes to, you know. What was your question? I uh, we were just I was asking you were talking about your personal connection to the Oingo and, Boingo. Yeah. That's what uh so Oingo Boingo, uh the, I was in junior high when that uh that music became popular. Mm -hmm. And I believe that Oingo Boingo had the soundtrack for Weird Science. Right, that, right. And how that, that movie was a popular movie uh, it's great that the kids make a barbie doll yes no i remember it vividly. fantasy yeah. wore underwear on their heads yeah uh it was bras on their heads um and i i, li I just like that and that that song uh, it's got an interesting uh melody they use like an accordion mm -hmm. not a common instrument used in rock and roll um right. i'm not remembering the names of the names of the the band members oh um so i got it up here um the guy that seems like he was central is danny elfman danny elfman danny elfman is famous for collaborating with tim burton now and he provides the soundtracks for most of those burton movies as well as he's been in hollywood after he left oingo boingo stopped that project and it, uh, he just was heavily influenced i think by by uh, the me Mexican music. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of like cool sounds that I like. And I've experienced some time in Mexico and I do like the ranchero music mm -hmm. and the corridos and the fact that they evolved from polka, the yeah. polka influence, which happened after uh, their emperor Maximiliano, they like the nobility class had some Austrian noblemen take take the realms they wanted to become more european for a period and they end up executing but he brought with them his court the culture of europe and of austria and uh his, his name was maximilian and he and they ended up assassinating but uh 
so I love that he's influenced and he incorporates the xylophone, the marimba and, and the accordion in that song. I think that song has a great message. I love the lyrics of that song. And I love the melody. It's basically, my answer is going to be the same for every freaking song that um, you're, you're, you know, that I selected. You trying to uh, just give me the picture that you want to cut this short, Rick? Is that what's going on here? No, it's just. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Yeah. yeah. I don't want to cut it short. I can go on and on and on, but it's like the song. And this is just like the way music affects me. The sound of the music, the beat, the melody. Yeah strikes a chord and then the lyrics sometimes doesn't even matter i don't even need it yeah lyrics don't need to but the lyrics have and the vocals strike a chord in me and and they they evoke some sense of meaning there's a significance it's emotional it's like revealing a truth uh, a life's truth Uh, and that's why that's why i'm attracted to these songs Yeah, so I was going to talk about the Stone song I picked, Tumbling Dice. Um, you already said some things about it, but that um, the female chorus and uh, I think there's a lot about like, so I didn't listen to Exile on Main Street till I was an adult, probably like 10 years ago. And you hear so much of it uh, about it. My dad would talk about it, but for some reason, like I couldn't name any of those songs. Um I knew that uh, Fish used to cover Loving Cup. And um, so I was more familiar with like their version of it. And uh, I thought those lyrics were, were great. I thought uh, the, the symbolism of uh, taking a drink uh, from somebody's Loving Cup was um, just awesome. But, uh, you know, it's hard to pick one Stone song. I think there's... When I think of rock and roll, I do think of them almost as much of their image. Um, one of the things that uh, Klosterman and Ryan were saying in their discussion of the Beatles and the Stones, they went in the whole like back and forth and um, talked a little bit about like the absurdity of the argument about who's better. Because it's really like, you know, nobody ever stops me in the street and is like, um, I'll let you live, but you got to tell me who's better, the Beatles or the Stones. Um, so I definitely like them both i know the stones way more but um you know picking one of their songs is super hard i think they always seemed very connected to uh country r&b and the blues and when i didn't know what the blues was um i associated it with like um that song um on sticky fingers called you got to move The thing with the tumble and dice is just it uh it's like vibey you know what i mean like immediately uh it throws you into this like particular mood and um some of the live versions uh are just like to me just feel like rock and roll and again like you i think i associate it with a particular time in my life particular people my dad was like a really big figure in getting me into music and he was always the authority and he loved the stones um when I can remember, um, you know, like stealing his um, Sticky Fingers album um, and going through it track by track. Not until I was like a teenager could I appreciate some of that music. And um, I have yeah. a question for you about yeah. the Stones. Yeah. And maybe you've already answered it with your selection, but there's that, there's the Stones, the, the Brian Jones Stones, and then there's the Jagger Stones. And uh, 
What what music resonates more with you? What period? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a good question. I think if uh, if I wasn't trying to be Mr. Cool Guy, you know, back to like the new wave stuff and the Oingo Boingo stuff, like I probably got into Steel Wheels first, right? Which is like a later album. And then there were some uh, Mick Jagger solo albums that um, um, I thought were, you know, super good. There's that song, uh, Don't Tear Me Up. Uh, do you know that one? It's a weight on my shoulder. It's a fatal disease. So don't tear me up. I don't ever want to see your picture again. you get a sense of that right like that's pretty straightforward but as i get older like i don't try to hide the fact that like the late 80s early 90s stuff you know like i really like uh the tunnel of love by bruce springsteen and and you know stuff that came out during live aid which is going to act a little bit but so the stone stuff that i love the most i mean i do i would answer pretty quickly that sticky fingers is my favorite album um but i think like exile and main street there's so much lore around it um uh, that that's the one, you know, that kind of encapsulates like sort of like a rock feeling of like looseness and then, um, you know, the chorus and, um, yeah. Some of the Which album did they record in Mush in Mushroom Shoals studio? Do you know? I don't, um, I'm going to say that I don't think it was, uh, Exile on Main Street. There's a whole doc about it. And, um, I had always thought that it was like a whole band album where they were like, sitting in a room. I thought a lot of it was uh, recorded in South America, but in that um, a podcast I was referencing, it sounds like they were, you know, all separate, which is like totally kind of crushes your um, view of, of, uh, of how that music's being made. It's like, I think that, you know, one guy was going and doing guitars and Mick was doing the vocals in LA. And um, so the sound of it is a little bit different, but uh, yeah, I mean, that's one pretty clear picture for me of what rock sounds like. So that's probably how the band's been able to stay together for so long that they just avoid contact with each other. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's a story with so many of them. Right. And, um, but, uh, um, I, I think there is something to them staying together so long. And then, um, if you think about bands that do kind of come and go, like, I don't know that I'm going to spend a million bucks, but, uh, it's a hard question, a uh, hard statement to make right now because I would pretty much go see any live music. I'd go see a cat playing like a, a cardboard box, but I'd pay money to go see the the Stones. They still sound good when I watch videos of them. And so, who do you what do you uh, want to uh, tackle next on your list? I think Peggy O is good. Is a good one to tackle. Um... Peggy O. So, so I think Grateful Dead, I don't know what your opinions are on that band, but I think they are my favorite band, my favorite band, top of the list. They were a dangerous band. They were kind of a revolutionary band. They were coming up at the same time. Everybody was trying to figure out how to play this music and define it and create their own music. And they were doing drugs and they were doing the, they were trying trying to, find a new way and they were pro part of that um electric uh you know kool-aid acid test mm -hmm. and and uh the what were the pranksters the merry pranksters is that, pranksters. that about right yeah. yeah what was it who's the author ken 
Kim Kesey, yeah. Kim Kesey. Electric Kool-Aid acid test, right? And uh, I think they had great ideas and were trying to do something different. And that song, Peggy O, I don't think they wrote that song. I think that's a cover of an old folk song, probably. And I just think that that song has a great story to it. I think most of their songs, the reason why I like them is they are deep into like roots music and tell a story about something. Some some story about Peggy O and about falling in love and and heartache and um and and uh, Gar- Garcia's guitar playing I just really like and I love his voice and he was the critics did not like his voice they did not think he had a good he wasn't a good uh, he didn't have good vocals and I think he's got one of the coolest sounding voices around. Well, do you ever think like that is sort of like a way to, you know, a little bit of a window into criticism is like clearly many people like this voice. Yeah. Um, and uh, so I don't then what do you do with the criticism there? Um, I do know I, recently I've had this thought because I was talking to somebody about Dave Matthews. And um, if you if his voice catches you the wrong way, it's the same thing with Sting, but it's really anybody. Right. Like if you didn't like their voice. And rather than thinking of it as sort of like, um, you know, I think people make bands like teens a lot. I just had this like thought that like, you know, I can't imagine not liking salsa, but if uh, you didn't like cilantro, I mean, that's, it's a deal breaker. And uh, some people don't like cilantro, which is a whole nother thing. So that is another thing. That's an interesting subtopic. Yeah. It's a genetic thing. Yeah, no, exactly. That's why it seems like an interesting way to think about that. But no, I like the dead. Um, I think I've told you that I hate the dead in the past, um, which is insane. But um, so here's a couple of things. Um, I love, love probably 20 of their songs, right? Um, Box of Rain is is one of my favorites. Um, I think my absolute favorite is Jack Straw. We can share what we got to use Cause we done shared all the Um, some of the versions of um, their songs by other people like the uh, sublime uh, Scarlet Begonias is you know one of my favorite songs of all time really Um, and that got me to go back so that version got me to go back and think about the dead differently but no I love them Um, and they were really the the entrance to, for me, into like concert life, um, sort of like psychedelics and things like that. And um, I think like everybody else, like the low bar entry was like, I think the only Grateful Dead songs I used to hear on the radio when I was a kid was like Truckin', which is like not a very good example of the Grateful Dead, you know? Like it's, it's a great song, but it's different than what their live experience is like or stuff like that. Um, I like Sugary. Um, they have so much to like. And then um, just as somebody that likes music, the way that they were so committed to the live experience and pu- pushing further and really the surviving members still are, right? And then, they are. Uh, yeah. And they influence so many other bands. Like you mentioned Fish, heavily influenced by what? all the jam bands and, and it became a movement and they have a following and their, their live experience is really, that is the experience and everything recorded is basically just to try to pay the bills and, and, and share the, the music, but their live experience is really what they're, they want the live experience. I think they try to recreate the live experience in their recordings. And uh, I like Peggy O because it tells a, it's just a tender story of a, uh, you know, uh, unrequited love. Uh, and, uh, and Jerry's, Jerry's voice, he just sings it really well. It's a beautiful, beautiful song. Yeah. So for me, when I went back and listened to it today, it's, uh, you know, it is almost like a take on a folk song tells a great story. It's got some great blues solos. I think that I like Jerry's voice. Um, I really like Jerry's guitar tone. Like I can pick that out anywhere 
And so having something that's unique is a big deal to me. And that's what makes them. So yeah, I'm on the Grateful Dead train. Um, uh, yeah, I think uh, any more you want to say, I'm going to, I'm going to go forward. Um, that, no, that's it. We can go yeah, forward. Cool. Cool. So I'm going to go with my first one, uh, which is uh, the kinks. Uh, I'm going to play that intro again real quick. Well, this one's easy for me, right? Uh, repetitive, right? It's not like a metal um, guitar sound. You know, it's not super distorted, but it's definitely breaking up, right? So they were probably, I'm guessing, just in a regular amp and just turned it up as loud as you could so it started to break up. And then I think that there's so much like about um, a guy being uh, driven crazy, you know, by like not not a pure love, right? But like sort of like more of like a, a more like a sexual longing, which to me is like one of the underpins of uh, of rock and roll, the way that I think about it. And then I just always think the kinks are underrated, right? So people do talk about the Beatles and the Stones all the time. Um, but they, the Kinks to me wrote, um, you know, great rock and roll songs. I will say that, um, I know of this song because of, uh, this version of it. Um, So one of the things that struck me as I was like just getting ready for today is that's the third song on the first album. And I do think that that Van, first Van Halen album is uh, core to music for me, period. And uh, yeah. it starts with uh, Running With The Devil, which is like iconic. You know, at the time, just saying that, I was like, ooh, this is like, you know, it's way more controversial than you can even imagine today. Um, then Eruption, which like every guitar player is like dream when I was growing up. And then this cover of this uh, kink song. And um, yeah, I really like the kinks. Um, I don't think I have that much more to say about it other than like, uh, it's simple, right? Not mm -hmm. quite, you know, like punk would come after that, I think, but it's just the same chords. Um, I did do a little bit of investigating. And so um I saw this interview with Tom Morello once and he said, if you're uh, if you want to be metal, baby, lean on F sharp. And so that is like just going up. I think it's either an F, F to G or somewhere around there on the guitar, but you know, um, you don't have to know that to respond to it. Uh, so yeah. All right. Back to you. you I do like the kinks and I do think they're under, I do, I do think they're underrated as well and i think they were a transitional band i think that they influenced all those punk like yeah i like their song uh lola oh yeah come on such a good song <laughs> yeah exactly well and that's like was a big one uh for me when i was a kid So I remember asking my dad and my relatives, like, what is this about? What's going on in this song and having no idea? And one of the most satisfying, you know, uh, musical experiences for me was not knowing for years. And then when somebody told me, I was like, yeah, that, I don't get that, you know? I had a conversation with my mom and uh, my sisters recently about that song. And it, my mom, it was revealed that the, that part of the, I like using that, I like quoting, she walked like a woman and talked like a man, you know, I can't remember exactly the, the lyrics. I can't understand why she walked out like a woman and talked like, yeah, my mom's close. like, really? That's what that song's about? <laughs> she had no idea that that song was about what, it, what it's about. Um, transgender. And uh, made me laugh. It made my sisters laugh a yeah. lot. <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, Good song though. Just great melody. The way he sings it is, He's telling a story. He's like, come on, kids, get close to the fire. Yeah, exactly. And, tell uh, you the story of what happened to me. <laughs> yeah, well, it's it's interesting, too, because people's probably feelings about, like, Ender's uh, issues of gender identity 
um, have changed so much in our lives and since that song came out. And then, uh, you know, Ray Davies way ahead of his time, right? Because, I mean, that song's had to be at least 40 years old, I would guess. Yeah. And I think even though it's probably the song they're associated with the most, um, it's like a decidedly kink song because there's elements of folk there. There's like Ray Davies' great voice. Um, and then it, this, this is the same thing that's true with... Um, you really got me and uh, Lola is uh, it really builds to like this exaltation, you know, like screaming by the end of it, you know, um, let me see if I can give you a little of that. So they're great. They end strong. They end their music strong. At least yeah. the music on yeah. All right. Uh, what do you want to tackle next? Because you got two big ones. Oh, uh, let's do Radiohead. Yeah. Uh, I'm gonna play a little bit more of that just because. That's uh, such a good song. anything about when this came out or the first time you heard it i don't i do remember that uh there were live versions kicking around like i think this was maybe napster days i don't think it was youtube um but so there were like terrible sound quality clips and you could you, you didn't know what to make of it and then it was on that album that was released for free on the it was the first like pay as you go model and I was living in Vermont. Um, and like with a lot of Radiohead albums, you know, like when OK Computer, uh, excuse me, when Kid A came out, I was like, oh, I don't know what to make of this. Um, and I think everybody, quite a few people were hoping for like another um, The Benz. And then I saw them that summer and was like hooked. Um, but when In Rainbows came out, it's just all I listened to for like two months. And it was the it was fall, winter of, uh, of 2007. And I was living in Vermont. So I'd gone through these uh, long walks in like central Vermont listening to like weird fishes. But it's your song. I should let you talk a little bit about it. Well, I just, um, it's, it's surprising me that I don't remember the first time I heard it because I love it. It's, it's probably the number one song on that list. And it is a song I can listen to over and over again and it it's resonates and and that's how I was approaching this challenge was what songs continue to have an impact on me even after I listened because that's a weird thing about music is that I can it loses its luster and then I just don't want to hear it anymore I don't want to hear that song anymore I don't know if you can relate where you're just like ah skip I've, I'm done with that song right now but these four songs I can listen to them and every time they come on I I want, you know, I want to turn them up. And uh, I also love the way the Radiohead has used their weirdness in their videos. And this song's video is, I can watch that all the time. Uh, that's an, and that's something I think that's worth noting in how uh, music has adopted and music is so important in all the other um, uh, video, like, Definitely in video and movies, how how uh, that is supported music and music complements that, and that's become part of the art. And and uh, and I just love that video. Weird Fish's video is is so weird. It's such a it's so cool. It's like this stop motion claymation. I don't know what they're using there, but uh, these weird creatures having kind of a race. Yeah. and it's like there's a good and there's an evil and then they're all together and then they all mash together into one another strange looking creature <laughs> yeah. yeah it's awesome um i know exactly what you're talking about i think the thing with radiohead for me is they're almost like uh these uh this very important relationship in my life because i trust them in the um the courage they have in, in making music and if something they make 
is catches me a little off guard first. It's almost like some like a teacher telling you this is the, the direction that you need to go now. Um, and I was thinking about this thing. Um, so I saw them the last time they played the key with our friend Bill, actually. Um, and I was kind of up high and, you know, I've had this experience uh, quite a few times, but uh, people were just, there was a definite genuine communion with people. Like we all felt like we were joined in this thing and their music is like deeply emotional, I think, you know? Um, and I remember looking around and this uh, rock critic, Steve Hyden said this thing, you know, he's got a podcast where he, I forget why he was talking about Radiohead, but I know he has a book coming out soon. And he said this thing that I thought was really important. It's like, here's this guy, Tom York, singing these songs very sincerely about, you know, kind of being alone in the world in some cases and how that is like a unifying experience. Um, And I always thought that was uh, super important. Yeah, I think think that's what um, appeals to me about their music is how emotional it is. Yeah. And, and vulnerable. It's very vulnerable. It's raw. And uh, their subject matter is uh, it's complicated and, and like artistic enough that it's uh, it takes there's many layers to it. And that, so I can listen to it a lot in different stages because music is, uh, I think, the language of emotion. It, it really, for me, at least. And uh, and we're all in different stages of our emotional growth and we go through different periods of emotional highs and lows and uh, their music always resonates with me. So I, they're a great band. It's yeah, I I agree with that. I'll just say one more thing. It's healing too. I think what you said is it's like, that's a healing thing. Um, in your experience as a collective crowd in their concert, you could feel this oneness, Mm Uh, even though you're it's almost all- like when I was there, it's like, oh yeah, everybody else feels this way too. And that's like a way <laughs> yeah. that it brings us together. But I remember yeah. like, it's strange. Cause it's not like, you know, um, you know, I want to rock, rock and roll all night and party every day. It's, it's different. It's like a lot of those songs, especially like, uh, I think, uh, during, uh, no surprises, you know, uh, that song from okay computer, I was like, this is, you know, it's about alienation. Um, and, um, the video is him, you know, in a, like a scuba helmet that's filling with water till at the end, it's full of water and he's gasping for breath. But the other thing that I would say is I always think of this idea in my life that it was listening to them and in particular um, the track Street Spirit on um, the Benz, which starts with uh, these um, arpeggios. So I heard that, loved it. It drove me to uh, Philip Glass's music. And, you know, uh, succinctly like that, I I always think of that music as like, it sort of touched a part of my emotion that uh, I didn't even realize was a thing that existed. And so then when you go back and listen to that song, the Radiohead songs, it's, I think that's what you're connecting with sonically too. And Weird Fishes is kind of interesting because I think he does communicate some things emotionally with the lyrics but I never really paid attention to them I never paid attention to the title although I do think they're still important but it's like a good example of like I don't know that you want to spend a lot of time um um you know digging too deep in these because I think that they're just like sometimes it seems like they're a structure just to hold the emotion of the song together um and who knows? He he may have had a totally different thing in mind when he made those lyrics. Most likely, I think they do. I, I don't, you know, it's like any piece of art. Once you put it into the world, it's not yours anymore. And we all we all get our own meaning from it. And that's a beautiful thing of art. And and sometimes that the truth transcends somehow. And we all feel like that emotional similarity. Like, oh, we're all in this together. You feel, have you ever had an experience where you've shared a song with someone and they're like, I don't like that song. And you're like, Oh, I don't, I don't know if I can trust you. I don't, you don't like that music. I don't know if I can trust you. <laughs> yeah, I definitely have. I will tell you too. I mean, I've had a Radiohead experience where um, there was a guy who, when I would take breaks at work, when I was working at the university, I noticed he had a guitar. So we struck up a conversation about a guitar. And so I would like pop over to his office for 10 or 15 minutes 
just say, what's up? How's the guitar playing going? And one day I said to him um, something in reference to Radiohead and he just looked at me and he's like, I don't like Radiohead. And then I stopped <laughs> talking to him. Yeah, and that was the end of that relationship. I'm kidding, but I've definitely had that where I'm like, yeah, I don't know if I'm going to let you be around my kids. because uh, It's like a dog, like when your dog doesn't trust somebody and you're like, oh, yeah. maybe he's a red light person. Yeah, you, you seem all right, but uh, this guy knows the truth. The yeah. yeah, what are you hiding? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, yeah. I'm going to go through two pretty quick here, right? Because I feel like everything I would say about Day Tripper is the same as what I would say about You Really Got Me. Um, but I, I will say, no, I will say that, again, the first time I heard it was this version. So that's the Hendrix version from the BBC sessions. And, um, you know, uh, I think the way that people think about cover songs is different today because there's a million cover songs and it seems like every song on YouTube. But um, I think it was a little bit, you know, Hendrix was a little bit ballsy. And in, in, uh, so there's a story that uh, like the, after, the day that uh, Sgt. Peppers came out, he played a song that night and was playing the song. Um, but Hendrix versions of, uh, of, of jams, especially a lot of those Beatles songs are just, you know, unbelievable and full of energy. Um, there's two things I want to say about Day Tripper. One is I learned how to play that riff. It's pretty simple. You know, I think almost anybody with a little bit of time could figure it out. And how fun it is, is sort of like one of the ways that um, it seems rock to me. Like it's all played on the lower strings of the guitar and um, you get a different sense and appreciation of old rock and roll songs when you um, learn some of those like single note runs. And then uh, even today I was driving, I was like, what is a day tripper? And I know for sure that at some point when I was a kid, I would hear that song and be like, I like day trips. I wonder if they get in their car with their parents and go take a trip for the day. I wonder if they stop for sandwiches. That sounds fun. Day tripper. I like that song. I don't even. Yeah. What is a day tripper? I don't know. Have you ever heard of the the Elvis song "Roused About"? Mm -mm. But look that one up. Yeah. I'm just a roused about, shifting from town to town. No job can hold me down. I'm just a knock around guy. There's a lot of space beneath that sky. Tell me what a roustabout is. So that song basically describes what a roustabout is, but uh, it's also a carny term. In the car in the the carny world, a roustabout is the dude who's the lowest on the totem pole and just has them. They they're the ones who are put up put up the tents, empty the garbage cans. They just do all the the crappy jobs, and uh, they also call that that position. You're aroused about, yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. That That's a good example of like, I've honestly, I've never dug much into Elvis. Um, I think I've always been kind of dismissive of him. Um, no thanks to Public Enemy. Like, <laughs> like, they didn't like him. I'm not going to like him, but um, I definitely have a different respect for him. And, uh, but uh, probably does like a lot more like rich music than I realized. Cause that sounded almost like more like a, what'd you call that? Like a dance tune, right? Kind of is like that start. Doesn't sound rock and roll. Yeah, but it is almost like him. Yeah, well, maybe like the previous era. The Sinatra rock and roll era. Yeah, exactly. Bebops and like long skirts and that would be a pop song. You know, pop the pop. Yeah, popular song. Pop is the glue, right? Because you talk about pop music today, or you know. I thought about that a lot when I was getting ready for this list. So um, I'm going to do my last one and then we'll do your last one because uh, I could do a whole episode on your last one, but I could probably do a whole episode on this one. So I'll tell a story real quick that I felt like at some point when I was a kid living at my parents' house, my dad felt I was ready for Zeppelin and he used to have this uh, big stereo system because everybody did. Right. 
And so his speakers, you know, were like four feet tall. He had the Marantz receiver. And then he had all the Zeppelin albums on vinyl. And uh, he was playing this one day. Uh, and I think I just, I would get super obsessed with like just intro. So I listened to this intro uh, over and over again. So uh, he had like a nice set of earphones and uh, I would put that on just like I just did, listen to that part and maybe listen a little bit more and then I'd get up, go across the room, move the needle back to the beginning, listen again. I do that for two hours, no problem. Um, I think there's a lot about that song that's like, you know, it's like a coming of age song. Um, it just sounds good, you know? And then uh, the one story I have about it is... Um, First time I went to see Fish, I was not a huge Fish fan at all. And um, I was just kind of tagging along with my buddies. And we might have got into something that um, made our perception not great. And then we uh, rolled the dice even further by, you know, taking a drive. So we needed to drive across Mass from where I live near Boston to Western Mass, where UMass was, where the show was. And um, we went on the wrong highway. And we were going towards Rhode Island for a long time, like an hour. And so, you know, the plan there was to get there early um, to sort of not be too deep into our uh, perception changing experience and, and then go see the show. And uh, we were deep into our perception changing experience. Um, luckily, there were enough of us that we figured out that we were going the wrong direction. And uh, when we finally got to the show, it was late. You know, we were like three hours later than we had expected to be. I remember getting out of the car and my buddy fell in a ditch immediately. Like somebody had put a ditch next to his car. Like we were living some version of like a Super Mario game. And we got into uh, the arena and it was the last song and they were playing Good Times, Bad Times. And that was the only song I saw for the whole concert. We were just devastated that we were like psyched. They're playing a song <laughs> and then it was over. Uh, oh man. Yeah. At least you got to hear that song. Yeah. That is a bummer. I, I can relate. Uh, and I think that's the best first song on the first album that has ever been written. Yeah. It's like the best intro. Like, hey, guys. Definitely hard to come. Yeah, Buckle your seat, though. Can you? Those, uh, that beginning, like the derner, just sounds like two punches in the face. Yeah. And if you didn't get it the first time, we'll give it to you again with a little bit of, and I, I swear that's like a cowbell. Yeah. That's a good one. I love that song. Yeah. All right. That, uh, that, one could, that one could be on my list. All your songs could be on my list. Well, ditto. This is a hard, this is a hard challenge. It's yeah. a hard challenge. Well, and I think if the thing about it is, is it's almost like you got to get them out really fast and then, you got to leave them. Just commit. How, how hard would it be to make like another one right now? You know what I mean? Like, it, so. All right. Uh, I'm going to give you a little bit of yours. And then um, I want you to tell me if you remember about the first time you heard it. I do. This one I do remember. good one it is a good one it's a really and the and beck has a version that i i really like that is a uh, what i like about covers is when an artist can make it their own and uh you've shared with me some music ryan adams and his rendition of taylor swift's uh what is it 1987 they did the whole album it's i think all of that stuff so that's super oh. good so good. And, yeah. and, uh, I personally, it made me like Taylor Swift. It made me realize, Holy shit, Taylor Swift. She yeah. is an incredible songwriter. Yeah. I think she is. She is not just a pretty face. She, she's a like Dolly Parton. She's yeah. 
got talent. She's got a lot of talent. And well, I think the whole concept of him covering her whole album, like, I don't, I mean, now it just seems totally crazy because I, I have a whole different take on, I do. He's one guy that I have a hard time listening to now because of the kind of trouble he's gotten into. And um, it bums me out that um, it's been taken away, but. Uh, yeah. I, I, my opinion of, of him and because of his experience with his ex-wife, uh, what's her name? Uh, Mandy Moore. Yeah. Mandy, Mandy's such a, sweetheart it's yeah. hard to hear it's hard to hear that kind of always it's hard to hear yeah yeah that kind of it about that kind of uh behavior why do guys have to be such dicks yeah well i mean it's tough right because why does that guy have to be such a dick because uh he's written i mean he's written so many great songs um and i feel like i honestly i've not listened to him you know, very much since uh, that New York Times article came out. But, uh, but you asked me a question. This could, this could like this top, this topic could like we could talk about Michael Jackson now, and then we could talk about Bill Cosby and and R. Yeah. Kelly. Yeah. <laughs> crazy, crazy shit's Thank, going on. Thankfully, the Flaming Lips seem like uh, they're solid. Ethical behavior is high mostly. On the I mean, they've had their bouts of addiction. There's been addiction. Yeah, exactly. but who you know who what band hasn't experienced that that seems to touch us all and coincidentally the first time i heard this song addiction was heavy on in my in my mind my sister was going through a period where she was realizing that uh she couldn't support her habit uh, and and it was a slow burn it was like i was watching a slow motion car crash and and it was super painful. And she had a little little girl, my my niece, um, my oldest niece, who uh, was just a five year old at the time, just started kindergarten. And I can I could tell that it was not easy for this little girl. And I had these horrible thoughts that I, my sister was going to self destruct, and and I wasn't going to get to see this niece, or how how is this affecting this little girl and this song and and of course i'm in a bar uh here in seattle the nickerson the what is it the nickerson tavern nickerson you know that bar uh it's in uh, Fremont. like up by um queen anne like the other yeah side. it's a lower queen anne on the on the north slope and right where right before the bridge uh fremont bridge and i'm ha- i'm just throwing some brewskis back and uh trying to and thinking about my sister and thinking about my niece and the song comes on and it seemed to be like the message from above uh this is the like how i feel about this little girl and how can i express what this song is communicating to me to this little girl um because it has such a wonderful message to it like you realize all of these things uh um because she was a troubled little mind. She had a troubled little mind. Uh, and and it's still the sentiment. I just want to share that with the people that are around me and evoke that sense of wonder in me and, and realization. Like it, it speaks some basic truths about impermanence and all these things we can go into. And that's another thing I love about music is that uh, it evokes a spiritual awakening. And, and there's a reason why churches use music to communicate and some of the great compositions were inspired by someone's idea to explain whatever that spiritual thing that they had they discovered they wanted to share it and like was messiah shit man that is a, a pretty layered intricate piece of music still um purposely like powerful today you know still performed still means a lot to people and um yeah definitely i mean i think about hundreds thousands maybe millions of people that that's facilitated that spiritual experience i think your story is a really um, powerful one and i just want to acknowledge that and you brought out this really important thing that i think a lot of times art and music really um 
helps us process those like difficult psychological um, tensions. And I don't always associate rock songs with that, although. I mean, I definitely do, right? We, I mean, we could have done the Mount Rushmore of uh, 80s ballads, right? Which was basically could have been like, you know, Colin learns about love because that just happened to be when I was living. But um, when it does that, those songs do stay with you forever, right? Um, and I think it's interesting to contemplate the process of how these songs are created. Yeah. And I love hearing artists talk about how, how the idea comes and and a lot of them will say, the idea just comes, and and they, they don't take ownership of the idea. And I think historically, if we look back to ancient Greece, for example, the, those artists also they had music. The Greek muses would come, and and then they go away, and they come. So I think that this is there is, and for me at least, some transcendent um, form of inspiration that. Uh, reveals this stuff to us, to the yeah. artist uh, that shares it. They have the courage to share it with us. And, and there is an impact. There's a, there's an emotional truth. There's something communicated that's beyond us. And, and I, I find that very interesting and uh, make, and I love it when it happens to me and all of these songs that I chose, whether or not they're rock and roll songs can be debated, but that all of those songs have had, like they've revealed something they've, opened up, maybe opened my heart a little bit more or helped me through a, a question, a difficult time, led me back to an expression of love and compassion or uh, even, you know, rage and hate and helped me understand that and directed that uh, to become a powerful thing to help me through um, whatever difficult situation that, you know, the fucking teacher that I didn't like that kept on s screwing with me and, you know, right. Yeah, Listen so now, it's Cooper. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> School's out for yeah. the summer. <laughs> School's been burned to pieces. <laughs> yeah. Um, I do know a little bit about that song. Um, that uh, it was, uh, you know, Wayne Coyne had this relationship with uh, Stephen Droids, and um, the the guy was going through. Um, heroin withdrawal and um you know i think uh, uh it's probably a whole mount rushmore of uh songs about band members concern for other band members uh i'm thinking of uh, the red hot chili peppers but uh he said these things, I, I, yeah, I, I, yeah right exactly it's a whole like second half of their career fucking huge album yeah. one album completely dedicated to yeah band members but, uh yeah, he said, Coyne said about the song, uh, whenever I analyze the specific realities of what it means to be living on Earth in this galaxy, spinning around the sun, flying through space, a terror seizes me. I'm reminded once again of how precarious our whole existence is. And um, I think that's so, it fits so well with what you were experiencing and what you, your personal experience that you're, you tie to that song, so. Cool, yeah, that's beautiful. I'm glad you shared that. Yeah. Well, Rick. Beautifully said. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Dutifully, uh, eloquently Googled and read <laughs> into the microphone. Um, great list, man. Uh, it's you been too. great talking about these. I'll look forward to doing one. Again, do you have any suggestions for future Mount Rushmores? I think you just came up with a good one. Yeah. That would take a little research and like – the Mount Rushmore songs that songs that were written. I mean, this is will require a little digging into the history of why the song was written. That were songs related to the so, like supporting or trying to understand a loved one that's in pain or yeah. The Mount band, Rushmore songs about keeping the band together or why the band fell apart. This Mount Rushmore theme can go in a lot of directions. We've talked about the sports. Yeah. Rushmore sports. I think we could do a Mount Rushmore of donuts. Oh, man. Just off the top of your head, uh, do you, anyone's come to mind, Mount Rushmore donuts? I don't know if you can call it a donut. Like, this is where, like, we have to put some definitions on what, is ex what exactly is a donut? Because apple fritter is on the top of the list. Yeah. 
but I don't know if that's a donut. So remember, like my whole thing is that it's whatever you think it is. And in my donut list, apple fritter is a donut because it's- That's what I love about you because that's pretty much how I view the world. It's like, what? Well, you're going to listen to somebody be like, you love that apple fritter, but it's not a donut. What am I going to do? Put it down? Did I stop yeah. loving it? That can't, be on the, that can't be on the Mount Rushmore. It can't yeah. be on the mountain. I built the mountain. <laughs> it's it has to have a hole in it. Yeah. It has to be a pastry with a hole in it. I'd love to find out that the guy that carved Mount Rushmore was just like, no, no, no. These guys are the four most important. You want me to settle this argument? I'm going to carve them into the side of this mountain, right? Yeah, yeah. Teddy Roosevelt form of self-promotion. He like, he's the one face that it's like, what does he really belong? We have had that conversation about Mount Rushmore already. Worth. worth Yeah, no, it's good. I mean, I was just, my first thought was like the Donald Trump version of building a Mount Rushmore is he's going to have this archived Twitter feed of uh, just insanity, endless insanity. Who would be on Donald Trump's Mount Rushmore? Well, I, I don't even want to know, but I mean, does he have enough respect for any other human being that he could pick I, for? <laughs> I don't know. I know he talked a lot about Andrew Jackson. Yeah. There was a time when he revered, he, he compared himself to the Jacksonian. Yes. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it just seems like it's outside of his uh, realm of thinking. Um, it would just be a whole bunch of faces of his own face. Yeah, I was going to say, just four <laughs> different yeah, Trump faces exactly the same. <laughs> that is probably the best answer. That's like, if we could both agree on that one. Oh, man. We're ending on a low note. Yeah, yeah.